Good morning, and welcome to worship at Houghton Wesleyan Church. We're glad that you're here. Please stand with me as we say the call to worship together that's written in the bulletin. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive our hidden faults. Then we will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. Let's continue in prayer. O loving God, we have come to worship you this morning. Help us to remember that you are here with us, that we stand in your presence. May we pray to you in faith, sing your praises with gratitude, and listen to your word with eagerness. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.
What a powerful promise that God will never forsake us. That's why we gather here to worship Him each Sunday and live our lives for Him. We're so glad that you're here today in this hour of worship. Take a moment and greet those who are here in worship. Maybe introduce yourself to someone you don't know. Each year as we begin our ministries, we want to take a few moments to uh, pray for uh, all of you who are involved in uh, ministries of the church, leading, assisting, teaching, helping. Uh, And sometimes these ministries are things that we do within the walls of the church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, maybe throughout the week. And sometimes they are ministries that take place outside the walls of the church. If you are involved in, uh, in ministries that are connected to the church, we've listed, I think, a good majority of them here, um, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we want to pray for you. So uh, if you're on the list, and if you're not sure, you probably are, so stand, and uh, we, we want to pray for you in, in this moment. We believe that God uses the gifts of his people to minister to one another and to minister to the world. And we want to thank you for using your gifts, and we want to pray for you. Lord, thank you for every person standing here before us today. We know that you are pleased with their willingness to serve, and the spirit and of humility with which they serve. Father, we pray that as each one of us relies on you, that you will bless us with grace and strength for all that we need to do. Give us glimpses of the fruit of our service as we minister to one another and to others. Father, give us joy in our service. And may our joy be contagious to all of us as We inspire each other in the ministries of your kingdom. Father, be glorified in our lives, in our worship, in our ministry. That as we work together, we will indeed be agents to bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Through the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we ask this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we have the opportunity to affirm our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed, words that millions of Christians have said through the history of the church and around the world. So on the inside of the inside cover of your hymnal, you'll find the Apostles' Creed, which we will read together. Let's declare our Christian faith in the words of this historic affirmation. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, 
and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Oh, my God. 
Please join me in the prayer of confession that is printed in your bulletin. Let us pray together. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us now to be reconciled with one another, that again we might dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the cloak of pride and put on Christ, that we might forgive and be forgiven. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament reading for this morning is from Psalm 119. Psalm 119, verses 9 to 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word, I will seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees, and I will not neglect your word. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand and join in the singing of the Gloria Patri as the ushers come forward to collect our tithes and offerings. Generous God, every good thing in heaven and earth comes from you. So out of your provision for us, we give back to you. May the use of our gifts and the offerings of our lives be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
As we join our hearts and minds together in prayer, if you would like to use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers for yourself, for others, please come and join me. Father, we all wrestle with burdens. Anxiety weighs on us. There are times where peace is elusive and hope just seems to be out of our reach. Sometimes it's busyness or the pressure of expectations. Sometimes we just forget about each other and the fact that our lives are interconnected. Sometimes it's just a matter of our self-centeredness. We pray that you will forgive us and that you will lead us toward you and toward one another. Father, our world is a sea of hurting people. We know that they are right here around us. We pray for people who are grieving and ask that you would comfort them in pain and loss, heartache. We pray for those who are struggling with issues of health. We pray for Bruce Brenneman, now home from the hospital, but difficult days ahead. We ask for your healing power in him. We pray for Bill Roski as he continues treatments and for Matt Bissett and Bev Rett and Micah Christensen as they also continue treatments. We pray for Linda Roth that you would continue your healing power in her. For Alton Shea and Isla Shea and for Dick Gould and Edna Howard, we pray for your healing grace upon each of them, that they would know your presence with them. And we continue to pray for Crystal Blake and Emily Crickler. We've been praying for them for a long time. And we're asking that you would continue to work in their bodies, in their minds, their hearts, their spirits that they would know your healing work in them and your grace upon them. And for others who are on our hearts and minds today, in this moment of silence, we offer our prayers. Father, we pray for the needs that are beyond us as well. We ask that you would have mercy and extend your hand to slow and to stop the spread of the Ebola virus. Protect the people that you have created and love all across West Africa, providing safety and shelter and food. We pray that you will grant wisdom, safety, courage to 
all the people who are sacrificing and putting themselves at risk to be agents of healing. And Father, we pray that your spirit, as only you are able to do, that you would take this tragedy and bring good out of it, that it might reveal your glory and your mercy and your goodness, and that hearts would be turned to you. We pray for every, all those who are living in places of terrorist attacks. We pray that you will bring an end to the hatred and the violence that is far too commonplace. We pray for our brothers and sisters who are in the middle of these attacks and are often being targeted by the attacks. And we ask for your protection upon them and your grace in their lives and that they would know your presence helping them, giving them courage and strength in the most difficult of circumstances. We pray for all the people who have been affected by the volcanic eruption in Japan, people who are grieving the deaths, people who are injured, damage and uncertainty. And we ask that you will be present even in that tragedy. We pray for Wes and Dana Brown and thank you for their willingness to serve you in Kenya. Pour out your spirit on them and their work and their relationships and their ministry. Father, we pray that you would help us to come before you with confidence because you are almighty and nothing is too great for you. We want to be people who pray with joy because we know that you hear our prayers and that you desire to help us even more than we desire you to help us. Lord, make us people filled with gratitude because you've already done so much and you've promised to do so much more. Father, let our lives be fully open to you that our natural default is obedience and worship. We pray all of this because of Christ Jesus. And in the spirit of the prayer that he teaches us to pray, we pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading is from the book of 2 Timothy, Paul's words to his younger colleague in ministry. 2 Timothy 3, 10-17. You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. 
What kinds of things have happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I have endured? Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. I would like to invite all of the children in the congregation to please come and join me here at the front. We are going to lead all the grown-ups in singing a couple of songs about the Bible. So please come join us right down front. If you aren't sure if you are young enough to qualify as a child, you absolutely do. Come on down.
Please be seated. So I brought with me a uh, sampling of some of the Bibles that I have. This is not all of them by any means, and there's kind of a variety of them. There are New Testaments, there are, you know, they never just print the Old Testament. Have you noticed that? It's, it's, it's either the New Testament or the whole thing. But, uh, you know, I have different versions here. This is the Jerusalem Bible, which is typically used in the Catholic Church. This is a, a study Bible, a life application Bible. It's kind of heavy, actually. It's a lot to it. Um, King James, and they always put this in black. I don't know why that is, but it seems like every King James Bible I've ever seen is in black. Uh, I have a Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, a Greek New Testament. Uh, this is an interesting one, The Life of Christ in Stereo. This is a, a, a book that takes the four Gospels and merges them all into one story so that you read the whole thing. And it marks where each of the things come from, but it kind of gives you, you can read the Gospel in one sitting. Uh, this one tells you the era. You can probably guess when this was printed just by looking at the cover. It looks like the 1970s, doesn't it? You can see that. And uh, the Jesus people, New Testament. Um, this is an interesting one. It's called the Reader's Digest Bible. It's the condensed version of the scriptures. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It is. It says right there, Reader's Digest Bible. This, it was a great idea to begin with. If you know about... But uh, biblical translations, Bruce Metzger was the editor of this. So, I mean, he's, you know, he knows what he's doing. But the, the whole point was that maybe if they put the scriptures into a more of a novel-type format, people would read it more. And um, it didn't catch on. Uh, so I'm probably one of the few people that even owns one of those. But uh, it's kind of an interesting thing. And I, this, this is the most precious Bible that I have. It's a little New Testament. It's... Kind of delicate. And there's a note inside. It says, Dear Wesley, this little testament was given me by my grandma when I was a little girl, probably eight or ten years old. So now I will pass it on to you as a keepsake. I used to carry it to Sunday school. Love from Great Grandma Dingman, April 18, 1968. Now my grandmother was born in about 1890, so this Bible's probably 110, 15 years old. And um, I don't, I have it in my office on my shelf. I don't use it a lot because it is so fragile and also because the print's so small I can hardly read it anymore. But, you know, it's one of those things that I keep in front of me to remind me of the blessing of my heritage. And, you know, what, the, what God gave to me. I also have this Bible that I bought in college. I used it all through my time in college and it is a well-worn Bible. This is the kind of Bible that if I know what the preacher is preaching about, that's the only section I have to take with me. You know, I just pick up a Samuel. That's what I want. You're doing John this week? Okay, I'll just take John with me this week, and that's all I'll do. There's not a part of this that's still connected to the binding. Um, and, and, you know, this is the book that, you know, you just figure out what you need, and you take that little bit with you, and you leave the rest home. I was thinking about that, and... Quite frankly, it, it is symbolic of how a lot of people treat the scriptures. We tend to say, the part of the scripture I like, the part of the scripture that I understand, that resonates with me, I, I read that. 
The rest of it, eh, not so much. I, I think it's one of the reasons why it, we, we don't make it often through reading the Bible in a whole year. You know, we start out in Genesis. Hey, that's great. I mean, quite frankly, Genesis got some pretty interesting stories. Um, some of it feels like you're watching a Lifetime movie network, something. I mean, these are some, you know, we probably shouldn't even tell our children half of the stories in the book of Genesis. But, you know, you, get, you do that, you read through it, you get into Exodus, that's kind of exciting with the, you know, bringing them out of Egypt. And then you start getting into the laws. And you're starting to slow down. And then you get to Leviticus and the sacrifices and you feel yourself slowing down even more. And Deuteronomy and Numbers and you keep thinking, boy. And then you get to First Chronicles and the first nine chapters are nothing but so-and-so begat so-and-so. And they begat so-and-so and they begat so-and-so. No wonder people give up. But the problem is, if all we read is the part that we like and the part that we know... And the part that makes sense to us and the part that, you know, we can grasp, then we miss so much of what God wants to say to us. And often people have taken the scriptures and they have cut them apart like that. There is a, there's, there's always been people who have attacked the scriptures and the authority and the reliability of the scriptures. In the last 300 years or so, that has heightened a lot. And people have said, well, that can't be true because I don't believe that God would do that or I don't believe that could happen. And, you know, Thomas Jefferson took the Bible. He cut out everything that was related to the supernatural. He didn't have much left, I got to tell you. Uh, And and people have done that and, and they've attacked the scriptures and the reliability of the scriptures and the truth of the scriptures. And the response to that has often been to close ranks and to start boxing in the scriptures. And, and instead of just sitting down and, and, and having dialogue, and instead of saying, well, you know, people have their opinion, but I know it's the word of God, we want to defend and fight. And so we create ways of describing the scriptures that, quite frankly, sometimes are untenable. There are, there are you know, ways of describing the scriptures where we say there is absolutely nothing in the scriptures that could be said wrong that wouldn't mesh with everything we believe today. Well, that's not possible because people wrote centuries ago and they didn't understand things the way we understand them now. The implication in the ancient scriptures as you read it is maybe that the earth is flat. The implication is the sun rises. And we know that's not the case. And yet... Sometimes we get backed into a corner and we have to even defend that. And the reality is, instead of defending the scriptures, instead of taking stands that are untenable, we take the stand that the scripture says. The scripture tells us basically one thing, that the the word of God, the Bible, the scriptures we have are inspired by God. Peter writes in his second letter, That everything the prophets said came from the mouth of God. Everything. Paul takes that a step further when he writes to Timothy and says, All scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is inspired by God. All of it comes from God. And yes, God uses human beings to write it. He allows human beings to use their personalities, what they know about things, their culture, their, their world. He uses, lets them use all of that to write it, to make it real and true. But it's still the word of God. It's inspired by the Spirit. It is breathed 
Life is breathed into it by the Spirit. It is the Word of God. I think it's important for us to make sure that we take that stand about Scripture. That we say what Scripture says. It's the inspired Word of God. It is reliable. It is true. And are there things in the Scripture that we would say, well, now we know thousands of years later that that's not the way we would describe it? Of course. Does that diminish the truth and the reliability and the inspiration of God's Word? No. It doesn't seem to bother God. Because if God is the Almighty One, as we believe He is, and if the Word is inspired by God, as we believe it is, then God has given us the Scripture that He wants us to have. And quite frankly, it's kind of messy sometimes. One of the questions that was asked as you responded about things you would like to hear sermons about, one of the questions was, what do we really know what makes this, this Bible different as a religious literature from all the other cultures and their religious literature. Now, one of the fastest ways to see the difference is to sit down and compare them. Because what you find in virtually all of the, of the other religious literature is a completely different perspective than you get in the Bible. It, it's, it's, you know, if we were to write the scripture, quite frankly, if we were, someone said to us, all right, write a Bible that will tell people, it will encourage people to want to be followers of God, I, I am quite certain we would not write that. Because there is a lot in here that confuses us, a lot of things in here that, quite frankly, embarrasses us. You know, in fact, if we went through the scripture and said, let's write it the way we would, we would change all kinds of things. We would probably have some people live longer, maybe a few people die sooner. We, we would probably uh, think uh, in terms of Jesus, we would want him to start his ministry earlier and end it much later. We would probably not write what Paul wrote to Timothy and said, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. Let's take that out. We'd probably change some of the teachings of Jesus. I mean, he's pretty hard on the rich and the religious, and that sort of hits home with us compared to the rest of the world, right? And we'd have to do something about all the wine that's mentioned in the Bible. We've got to get rid of that. Because that's just hard to deal with, right? One of the things that I've always felt makes the Bible unique is that God isn't afraid of the messiness. God isn't afraid to to have things in the scriptures that maybe we can't comprehend. And the truth of the matter is, if you're going to read the scripture, if you believe it's the word of God, at some point you have to be comfortable with paradox. Because more and more, as I get older and I study the scripture and I think about the scripture, I think the majority of what we believe, the important things about what we believe, have to be held in tension. They're both true. God is fully sovereign. Human beings are fully responsible. Seemingly opposites, and yet the scripture teaches both. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully human. Opposites, and yet the scripture teaches both. And the reality is, if we 
came, come to the place where we understand everything about Scripture perfectly, then we are God. And Scripture includes the mysterious nature of God. He has revealed so much of himself to us, but there is still so much more to learn, to understand. When I read the Scriptures, one of the reasons why I think the Scriptures are, are true is the way it presents God's heroes. Again, we wouldn't write it that way. We'd write about Noah and the ark and the flood, but we wouldn't include that last story about Noah getting drunk and pretty seamy episode. We'd write about Abraham being a follower of God, being a special person to God, but we certainly would leave out the times when Abraham is so full of doubt that he puts Sarah's life in jeopardy because he doesn't trust God. And with David, my goodness, there's a number of stories we leave out about his life, right? I mean, in one fell swoop, he basically breaks all the Ten Commandments. And this is the one about whom it said... He had a heart, his heart was God's own, he was a man after God's own heart. What we find in the scriptures is real people living real lives, struggling with real stuff just like us. And for me, that gives great credibility to the scriptures. You read a lot of, of, of religious literature and, and people are are created in a way that they think they're they're not even human. But you read the scriptures and it's human all over the place. Far more than we would like. Certainly more than we would want. But it's real. And that realness, that reality, to me says, this is true. It's not trying to hide anything from us. This is real people living real lives with real stuff. God isn't afraid of the fact that that might confuse us. God isn't afraid of the fact that that might make us embarrassed. And it doesn't seem to bother God because he makes sure we have it. And so at some point we stop and say, okay, I don't understand that. I wish that weren't there, but it is. And so there must be something of God in it. Something God's trying to say to us through it. And that really is the point, isn't it? The real question is not, do I believe that the Bible is true? Because that's a, that's a question of faith. Because people will tell us, well, that's not right, that's not right. And at some point, we have to decide, we're going to believe it is the inspired word of God or not. But the real point of God giving us the scriptures is that it's to transform us. It's not to club people over the head so that they do what we want them to do. It is so that we we have the truth about what it means to live as God's agents of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What is it? Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that every servant of God will be fully equipped to do good work. There is a, a theory that Brian Chapel has formulated. He's the president of Covenant Seminary in St. Louis. That he calls the fallen condition focus. 
It's one of the things as I'm working on sermons, I look for every time. Because he says, every passage of scripture is addressing something of our fallen condition. Something in us is broken. Remember we talked a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, about how we, we have damaged receptors. God's message to us, his word to us is perfect. But because of sin, our sin, the sin of others, the sin of living in a fallen, broken, sinful world, our receptors to understand God's message are twisted and turned and skewed and broken. And so we don't hear God correctly. And the scriptures are given to clarify what our sin distorts. And every passage of scripture has the, one of the purposes of it is to clarify things that are distorted in us. It might be ignorance, something we need to learn. It might be addressing something of our sin. It might be places where we need encouragement because we are discouraged. It might be hope because we're despairing. But every passage of scripture in one way or another is addressing something about our fallen condition. Scripture's intent is to transform us. It is the word of God to us to change us, to make us new, to turn us from our sinful ways to God. What is it David writes in Psalm 119? Your word have I hid in my heart. He doesn't just stop there. Your word have I hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you. So that I might be a changed person. I embrace your word. I immerse myself in your word so that I might be a new person through the Spirit. And that means that it's less about proving the reliability of Scripture, but rather surrendering in obedience to the authority of God. I often think back to what Mark Twain said. He said, some people get really nervous and anxious about the parts of Scripture that they don't understand. He said, for me, it's the parts of the Scripture I do understand that make me really nervous and anxious. I'm convinced if we just simply surrendered in obedience to the parts of Scripture that we know and are clear, we would be different people and the world would be a different place. Our problem is not nearly so much trying to convince ourselves or others that the scriptures are true. Our problem is doing what it says. Rick Warren says that Saddleback, they have a, they have a saying, a slogan. It says, you only believe parts of the parts of the scripture that you do. I would amend that just a little bit to say, you only believe the parts of the scripture that you surrender to in obedience to God's authority. And that means that we, the attitude in which we come to Scripture is so vital, so important. Do we come in a spirit of humility or arrogance? Do we come saying, God, what do you want to say to me? What do you want to show me? How do you want to use the Scripture to speak into my life? Or do we come to Scripture and say, so God, prove yourself to me? I don't really think you could do anything with me. I don't think you have anything to say to me. It's humility that leads us to spiritual growth. 
Arrogance leads us down different paths. And there is this sense of, in that humility, that we come in a spirit of expectation that God is indeed going to speak into our lives through his word. You know, sometimes I think that we, we have this view of scripture where we study and we read, maybe because we feel like we have to. You know, it's an, it's an expectation, and there's this little bit of a sense of drudgery, and we come to Scripture thinking, well, I don't know if God has anything to say to me. We read because we have to. And then we say, well, I'm not getting anything out of it. God's not saying anything to me. Really? That shouldn't surprise us. Rather, we ought to come and pray, Lord, I, I know you're going to say something to me. I'm expecting you to speak into my life. Will Willimon said the reason people don't get the scripture is not because it's old. It's because our minds are too small, too narrow, too limited. We don't have a spirit of expectation. And if we come in a spirit of humility and expectation, what happens is the scriptures actually become delight to us. They're joyful to us. The first psalm, very beginning of Psalm 1 says, Blessed are those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night. There is a delight in coming to the scriptures, in spending time in God's word, in studying the word. And, and I think when we come with that kind of mindset, we experience those aha moments In which we say, oh, I never saw that before. Sometimes we get convicted. Sometimes we we are challenged. But even that we see as joyful because we know God is doing that in our best interests. To make us more and more the people he created us to be. Psalm 119, verse 14. The writer says, I delight in your law like I delight in riches. Would we get just as excited about reading the word as we would if somebody handed us a couple million dollars? Hopefully more. Paul says to the Romans, the word of God, the scriptures are given to encourage you and to give you hope. It is in the scriptures that we find God's word of hope to us. It's in the scriptures that we find how God feels about us. The little children saying, Jesus loves me, this I know. How do we know? Because the Bible tells us. It's one of the simplest things we could ever sing, and yet it's so profound. How do we know anything about God? Because the scriptures tell us. How do we know anything about how God feels about us? Because the scriptures tell us. How do we know anything about what God is, is asking of us and how God cares for us and leads us down paths that are the very best for us? Because Scripture tells us. And we need to keep seeing it. That's why at the end of every Scripture reading, the reader says, this is the word of the Lord, and we respond saying, thanks be to God. And I guarantee you there are some Sundays that we read a passage of Scripture and you're thinking, huh, thanks be to God for that one? Really? I feel that way sometimes. And I want to say, yes, 
All of it is God's gift to us. Every passage of Scripture is God's gift to us. We might not understand it. It might make us nervous or anxious. But it is all God's gift to us for which we give thanks to Him. About 30 years ago, Bishop Desmond Tutu was speaking to the World Methodist Conference. This was before the falling of apartheid in South Africa. And he was telling about, he said, when the whites first came to South Africa, the, the blacks had the land and the, and the white people had the Bible. And he said, then the white people wanted to teach the black people how to pray. And when they opened their eyes, the white people had the land and the black people had the Bible. And he held up his Bible and he kissed it so tenderly. And he said, we shall see who got the better end of that deal. And time and history has proven he was right. You know, I I don't know about you, but I'm not big on reading post-apocalyptic literature, novels. That's not my favorite genre. I like reading novels, but that's, I don't really care for that post-apocalyptic perspective, you know, where the world has fallen apart and everything is crazy. And uh, Maybe you like that literature, but it's never been my favorite. Until a couple of years ago when my nephew published a novel that was set in post-apocalyptic times. He sent it to me and I read it. And actually, I liked it. He published a second book, and I, it's a trilogy he's written, and I read it, and it was good. And I was thinking about what made the difference, because quite frankly, I had no interest in reading post-apocalyptic literature. The difference was because I had a relationship with the author. And that makes all the difference in the world about reading the Scripture. Because we have a relationship with the author. We might not understand everything that the author does. We might not understand everything that the author says. But if we have a relationship with the author, what he writes becomes important to us. And changes us and works in us. And it creates a completely different perspective about life for us. And we begin to understand that the scriptures, all of the scriptures... Are God's gift to us. As his inspired word. To change us. For many years, Emile Caillé was a professor at Princeton University. In his book, Journey into Light, he tells about his journey to faith. He was raised in a very naturalistic home in France. No... Nothing religious, nothing about God. But he, he was absorbed in the, the current culture of that day, that progressive mindset that everything in the world was getting better and better. That's that naturalistic perspective that if we just work hard enough, if we just wait long enough, everything in the world is just going to continue to get better. Industrial revolution was making life easier for people. And they were watching everything develop. And the world was getting better and better and better. Until he was drafted into the army and lived in the trenches of the First World War. And the mud and the blood 
And the death shattered that illusion. He was injured in the war and he went to a hospital to recover. And while convalescing, he met a young woman who was a nurse and was taking care of him. And they fell in love and they got married. And on the night of their wedding, he said to her, I want you to promise me one thing. That you will never speak about religion to me or in our home. And she promised. He enrolled at the University of Paris. And um, as a part of his, his education and his life there as a student, he began keeping a notebook in which he wrote down things that spoke to him, that he read, that he heard. He'd be reading along in the literature and something would, would spark his interest and he would write it in the book. He'd be sitting in a lecture and the professor would say something that grabbed his attention and he would write it in the book. And he filled up page after page after page of sayings and words and, and, and things that had come to him that had spoken deeply into his heart and soul and mind. And he called it the little book that understands me. And one day came when... It, He was in the depths of despair. Everything about life was falling apart. All of his thinking and his processing just weren't working. And he said if there was ever any day in which he needed his little book, this was the day. And he went to the park and he sat down on the bench and he opened up the book and he began to read. And he read the first entry and he thought, why in the world did I write that? And he flipped to the second entry and he thought, why in the world did I write that? And the third page, it was meaningless. And page after page after page, the 10th page, the 25th page, the 50th page, nothing that he read made any sense to him. It was all meaningless, garbled words. And he got up and he walked home at the point of suicide. He walked into their little apartment that he and his wife and their little baby shared. Tiny little place. And his wife said to him, guess where I went today? Guess what I did today? And with absolutely no interest, really, he said, what? She said, well, I took the baby out in the stroller. And she would do that often to give him time and silence to study and work. She said, I was pushing the carriage along on on the street. And all of a sudden, the sidewalk turned to cobblestone. And he said, you can, she said, you can imagine, as I was pushing the stroller along the cobblestone, it was just about to shake the little baby to pieces. I've got to get off this, this walk, this road. And she said, I looked over and I saw a gate. And I decided I'm going to, pull, I'm going to walk into that gate. And he, she, she turned and she went through the gate. And back there was a garden. And back in that garden was a Huguenot church. They had had to hide those churches in the 16th, 17th century from persecution. And she said, I I don't know why, but on a whim, I went in. And the pastor was there. And we talked, and he told me of his son being killed in the war, and the tragedy of his life, and, and yet of his faith. And the more we talked, the more something was sparking in me. And he said, I don't know why, but I asked him, do you have a Bible in French? And he said, yes. And he gave me one. And Kaye said to his wife, you have a Bible in French? She said, yes. 
He said, give it to me. And he took it. And he said, I spent the whole night reading the Bible and exclaiming, this is the book that understands me. This is the book that understands me. At some point, we have to believe that the scriptures are God's word to us. And that the most productive thing we can do is to immerse ourselves in them humbly, expectantly, joyfully. Because it's God's word. It's God's word to us about him, about us, about the world. Father, we pray that you will help us have a new perspective about your word. New life. Give us a passion for your word because it's yours. We pray this through Christ. Amen.
I'm going to ask you to do two things this week and hopefully beyond. First, however much you spend each day reading the scriptures, that we would all commit to doing reading 10 minutes more. If you don't read any, read 10 minutes. If you read 30, read 40. If you read an hour, read an hour and 10. And together, that we are committing ourselves to say, I'll, I'll give 10 more minutes of my time to the Word of God. And second, whatever time you spend, that before you start, your prayer will be, Lord, give me a humble heart toward your Word. Help me to expect you to speak into my life through your word. And let your word become delight to me. Because it's your word. And as you go forth to do that, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.